Hi there, I'm Kara Rhoda. You may know me as the host of Clever Cookster and because I appeared on an episode of Who Knew earlier this year. Our podcast team is excited to share a fascinating new show with you, which I'm co-hosting, Rawson to the Rescue. In it, Jeff Rawson of the NBC Today show's Rawson Reports shares life-saving advice from how to avoid scams and identity theft to what to do in a flash flood. If you loved the life hacks of Who Knew, then we promise you'll enjoy Rawson to the Rescue. Keep listening for a bonus episode right now. Welcome to Rawson to the Rescue, my new podcast about the secrets to avoiding everyday dangers and worst-case catastrophes. I like to call it the ultimate handbook to life. I'm Jeff Rawson. You probably know me as the host of NBC's Rawson Reports on the Today Show, but I am also an author, a new author. And my new book, Rawson to the Rescue, comes out on October 10th. I'm here again with my great co-host, Kara Rhoda. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for coming in again. You came back for another week. Anytime. Um, <laughs> and today we're talking a little bit about ripoffs, how they happen, and how you can be better prepared to prevent them. So, Jeff, tell us first, have you ever been ripped off before? I wouldn't know. <laughs> I, know <laughs> right angry, I know I'm angry a lot. I know that, like, I... I know contractors have come in, and before I had all these sort of tools in my tool bag, so to say, uh, had a spotter rip off. I'm sure I was. I'm sure I was. Yeah. I've had a mover who moved me, who gave me an estimate, and then all of a sudden it was all jacked up when they had my stuff. Yeah. Sometimes you just get that feeling. Like, you can't quite pinpoint it, and you don't really yeah. know the right questions to ask, but you feel like you're not getting the deal you should and, be. And, and that's how this works, right? They are the expert. I mean, you don't know anything about moving. You, let's, you, you, do you know how to plumb a toilet? I don't know about what plumbers do. I don't know what they do. So I'm assuming when he tells me there's a problem, there's a problem. Who are a few of the most common culprits in ripping people off, and what are the things that people should do to try to avoid them? I mean, it's the cliche stuff, right? It's the car mechanic, because I'm, I'm thinking of things that we don't know about that cost a lot of money, and we're relying on somebody to tell us the truth. Whenever you rely, look, I love people, blah, 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 but if people get greedy, and for these big ticket items like your car, your air conditioning unit, you know, your general contractor, movers, big ticket items where you need them, you are susceptible to a ripoff. What should people do differently to keep themselves from getting ripped off or to just be a more informed consumer? Well, there are some, I mean, there are some buzzwords that you can use. I mean, I'll, g- I'll give you the movers example. I mean, th- this will help people right off the bat. So when a mover comes in, right, they co- you call, you want to you move. You call a mover. Now, there are two things that can happen. One, they're going to come over to your house and actually take, you know, stock of how much stuff you have and give you a real estimate. Or you're going to say, I live in a house. It's about this many square feet. It's this many bedrooms and bathrooms, furnished basement. And they're going to, over the phone, give you an estimate. And you may get a lower number for that. But then when they come, they're like, well, you didn't tell me about the blanket, blah, 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 right? So the price goes up. My advice when you have a mover is to always have them come in person to look at all your stuff. Then they're going to write up an estimate. Now, here's the problem, the word estimate, right? Even though they're writing down on a piece of paper and it says estimate on top, they can still charge you really whatever they want. People take that as like gospel. I have a, I have a contract right here and it's not going to charge more than $2,000. Not going to cost more. But that's not true because there may be traffic when they were bringing your stuff cross country. So what I always try to do, even if you end up paying a little more, is to get the words no more than, right? So, so if they're going to be like 2200 you know, be like, look, I want you to say no more than 2200 Then they may say, well, we don't know. I'll be like, okay, make it 2500 but it, it cannot exceed 2500 And then you sort of can feel good a little bit because then that estimate is now a contract. 
So that's that's one piece of advice with movers. With uh, contractors, I always say get a second opinion. And more importantly than that is talk to your friends right now. When you know when your toilet breaks and you're you need a plumber to come over, or like when your lock you forget your key and you need a locksmith, you're like blah. You can't see me right now, but I'm at home. But I'm I'm literally fiddling with my phone, like going on Google, saying like, okay, I need to find a locksmith or a plumber. That is how you get in trouble because that's when you start finding really shady characters. So what you want to do is today, today, ask your friend like, hey, who's your favorite auto mechanic? Who do you use? Do you like them? Uh, who, who do you use for a locksmith? Then program those people in your phone as auto mechanic, as, as locksmith, as contractor, as plumber. So that way you have a base knowledge of this person has done work for your friend and, and isn't trying to screw you over. Like you said, ripoffs do tend to happen the most when you're desperate and vulnerable, when you don't really have mm-hmm. the time or the resources to shop around in that particular moment. I love the locksmith example because that's one where if you're locked out of your apartment, there's really very little you can do to wait and shop around and negotiate. So what should you do in that situation if you are vulnerable, you are desperate, maybe you didn't prepare that well, so you don't have someone already on speed dial, are there questions you can ask or a way that you can present yourself as a customer to try to get someone to see you as less of an easy target? Well, we can stay with the locksmiths for a minute. We did a big undercover hidden camera sting uh, on Rossum Reports on the Today Show. And we invited all these locksmiths over. And what they're supposed to do is pick your lock first, right? They're actually supposed to pick your lock. The job should cost around 100 bucks if you forget your key. All these guys came out with like pliers and like ripping the door knob off and all that. I would say you should always say to them, tell me what you're going to do before you do it. Because in a lot of cases, these guys like rip the doorknob off and then it's like, oh, but great news. I can sell you a new one for 260 bucks. So you want to know what they're going to do first. Also, you know, read the reviews before you invite somebody over, read their reviews. I mean, if you're if you want to be part of that Google society, read the reviews if you're going to use that to bring somebody over. When you interview people on the Rawson Reports who have experienced ripoffs, mm-hmm. what does it feel like for them? And what, do, what regrets do they have afterwards about what they wish they'd done differently or how to prepare themselves for next time? Well, it's a complete violation, right? I mean, it, it feels awful. People always feel stupid. They're always like, I know I'm stupid. I know. I'm like, no, you're not stupid. How do you know that? How, does it, how, do, how do, are people supposed to know these things? That's why there's a book about it now, because most of us don't know about this stuff. So no one should feel stupid straight away. It's not stupid. That is the number one feeling people have. They feel stupid and embarrassed. Um, But they shouldn't feel either of those things because these people go around like, you know, one of these tactics of contractors, for example, that's always so funny to me is they they try to build up your trust. So what they'll say to you is like, oh, you'll point something out to them like, yeah. You know, this wall, like, I don't know if there's mold on it. Like, no, 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 that's fine. That, that, that wall's totally fine. Don't let anybody trick you on that. But I will tell you what is wrong. You know, so all of a sudden you're like, oh, he's not lying because he would have told me both things are wrong. But this is, there are tactics that these people use to get your confidence and then get you. So nobody should feel stupid about that. But uh, as with anything, it's about being prepared ahead of time. I'm a big prepare ahead of time guy. In the moment, you're probably in trouble. We'll be right back after this. Support for today's show comes from Audible. Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, and business information providers. Unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible you own your books, so you can access them anytime, anywhere, from almost any device. 
Millions of Audible members access performances by A-list celebs and amazing narrators. And in addition to audiobooks, there are so many Audible exclusives and original audio shows. I love listening to books on the subway or in the car on my commute, especially nonfiction like Ross and the Rescue. I can get smarter while I'm on the go. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at www.audible.com slash Rawson. That's www.audible.com slash R-O-S-S-E-N for a free audiobook with your 30-day trial. One of my favorite ripoffs, or one of the ripoffs that I am most susceptible to is the claw machine. Um, it just mm. always looks like it's going to be very easy. Mm. So what are some of those things that your brain kind of tricks you into thinking that you definitely can beat the system, but you really can't? Yeah, it's like the carnival game, claw machine. Um, yeah, I mean, everything is a business. You know, that that's what we always, you know, you can't forget that. You're at the carnival with your kid. You're at the arcade with your kid. You're like, we're having a great time, but this is somebody's, like, business, and every single thing that happens is for a reason, right? The claw machine, for example. In the book, we talk about how um, we did a whole test. You know, we, we, did a, we did a story about this with an actual claw machine expert. Who knew there was a claw machine expert? But there is. And it turns out these arcade owners can change how strong the claw is. They, it's, there are two settings, how strong the claw is and also how strong it'll be as it brings it over to the chute. So even, you know the times like you, in the claw machine, you grab it and you have it? You totally have it. And then at the last minute, it just drops. Yeah, that's all programmed sometimes. So uh, arcade owners can, you know, figure out, well, it's going to pay off one in 50 times. So you're, you have to remember, and it stinks, but you always have to be in the mindset, like who's trying to, you know, who's trying to get one over on me. I don't know about you. I go to work every day and I want to, I earn, I earn money and I want to hold on to that money. It's not your money. So I think from claw machines to car mechanics, the takeaway is really just be prepared, have some people on speed dial that you trust if possible, and ask the right questions. Don't feel stupid for getting ripped off in the past. Just be more informed going forward. Here's a little buzzword if a contractor comes over and they say something to you. If it seems high, just you can – I love this line because it sends a very clear subconscious message to them that go mess with the next guy. Say – that's weird. You know, I've had two other people here who said who quoted me a lot lower. Thank you very much. And then and then you will see how fast the negotiation begins. That's great. <laughs> so you can do a little bit of your own bluffing yeah. on your end too. Yeah, bluff, bluff, bluff. You're smarter than them. Well, now I won't get ripped off anymore. P- perfect. You can hand over your money that you saved right over to me. <laughs> Here's a little section from the audiobook. Several years ago, Danielle and our kids were visiting my mother in Florida. I stayed back to work. See, I'm dedicated. Out of nowhere, my mom fainted. Soon, she got up and said she felt fine, but my wife was rattled by the fall. You need to go to the hospital, my wife urged her. No, I'm fine, my mom insisted. She always does that. I'm on the phone listening to what happened, screaming, Mom, go to the hospital. That's how I said it. Eventually, we convinced her to go to the ER for tests. They gave her a checkup and took scans and x-rays. Before we knew it, a radiologist delivered surprising news. Pointing at the scan of Mom's lung, he says, I don't know what caused you to faint, but this is something we need to biopsy. It was so small, my mom could barely make it out. The scan showed a little white mark the size of her pinky fingernail. Needless to say, 
we all flipped out, and the results confirmed our worst fear, lung cancer. Even though she never smoked a day in her life, but we caught it early, the doctor explained, and it was only stage one, which meant it hadn't spread and it could be safely removed. Deep breath. So my mom went in for this minor surgery, which we were told was relatively routine. Then we received a phone call. I've got some bad news, said the doctor. Oh, God, what's he going to tell us? My heart did a few flips. The doctor told us, as a precaution, they tested her lymph node when doing the surgery, and they found a surprise. It's stage 3 lung cancer. Stage 3. That can be a death sentence. It was the most devastating news I have ever heard. I dropped everything and hopped on a flight to be with my mom and then hugged her, comforted her, and stayed with her. Then we launched an intense search for the best doctor we could find. We researched and vetted and asked for recommendations from everyone. We were about to put my mom's life in the hands of a stranger, so I wanted to do my homework. We found the doctor we trusted. She got more tests, and then six months went by. It hadn't spread. Six months more went by. It still hadn't spread. Every time she goes in for a checkup, to this day, we're white-knuckled and waiting for the report. And somehow, miraculously, every time, it has come back with good news. As this book goes to press, as I speak with you today, my mom is still winning this battle with cancer. This is all a preamble to say that I have deeply personal reasons for trusting and relying upon our doctors and surgeons. We need them. We let doctors examine our brains, cut our bones with a knife, tell us what to eat and drink, and inspect every nook and cranny of our naked bodies. We trust them. We look up to them. I personally vetted my mom's doctor. Be sure of that. He's been amazing. Yet government data shows that at least 100,000 doctors and other healthcare professionals working today, that's one in every 10, are abusing drugs or alcohol. Some of them have performed surgeries while stoned, and some are accused of crippling, paralyzing, even killing their patients. Let me repeat that. One in every 10 doctors, according to the government study, is abusing drugs and alcohol. There are doctors out there under the influence of prescription narcotics as we speak, putting patients at risk, says Dr. Stephen Lloyd, a doctor from Tennessee. How does he know this? because he was a stone doctor. In a shockingly candid interview, he opened up and told me about his drug abuse. At my worst, he said, I was doing 100 pills per day, Vicodin mainly. You were taking 100 pills a day? Yes. And you were seeing patients? I was seeing patients. How was this possible? How could this happen? I try to keep my composure, saying, that's frightening. He responds saying it's very frightening. He explains that pills like Vicodin, which take the edge off an extraordinarily intense, stressful job, are quite literally right in front of doctors every day. They can just dip their hand in the cookie jar. I have access, he told me, and every friend I have is a doctor. They wrote you prescriptions, I ask? Absolutely. Part of me wonders, though, wouldn't I be able to tell if my doctor is high? I've seen people on drugs. They're lost, scattered, unfocused. And doctors are usually sharp and incisive. I ask him about this. Wouldn't I know if my doctor was high on pills? 
We'd like to think so, says Lloyd, but the truth of the matter is, my patients didn't know I was using. Dr. Lloyd says he has never been accused of harming a patient while under the influence, but other doctors have. Take the case of one doctor, a neurosurgeon, who once advertised himself in an infomercial as the best neurosurgeon in Dallas. He operated on a patient, Jeff Cheney, who from the waist up looks like a trim, healthy, fit 40-something. Then I see him walk. Cheney walks with a limp, looking more like a brittle old man. When he climbs into the front seat of a car, he gingerly moves each leg one at a time, using his hands and arms for assistance. Cheney didn't always walk like this. He went in for what the neurosurgeon called routine back surgery, and he came out partially paralyzed. You can barely walk, I say to Cheney. Correct, he says, and it's painful. Cheney speaks slowly, measuring his words, seemingly haunted by the experience. It's my understanding that the surgeon was under the influence while performing surgeries. Cutting into people? Yes, cutting into me. I look at Cheney's legs again. They seem so out of sync with his healthy upper body. Cheney looks at me and says, he turned me from a strong, healthy man into a crippled man. Cheney's not the only one. A dozen other patients say that this same doctor botched their surgeries too, turning some into paraplegics and quadriplegics, confining them to wheelchairs. According to lawsuits, two patients even died after their operations. In one recent deposition, one of the doctor's assistants testified that he often drank at work. One described a bottle of vodka under his desk. A friend described LSD and cocaine use. And in the deposition, when the doctor was under oath, he kept repeating, take the fifth. Have you ever been under the influence of cocaine while you were taking care of a patient? I take the fifth. I request to interview him. Denied. I visit his home in Dallas and knock on the door. No answer. Eventually, I track him down on the phone, and he denies that he was drunk or stoned. He was never charged with any crime, and the state medical board found no evidence he was on drugs or alcohol during surgeries, but his license was revoked because he violated the standard of care. One doctor, however, is willing to open up and take responsibility, Dr. Lloyd. He tells me he's been clean for more than a decade and says that other physicians need to step up and follow his lead. As he speaks with me and reveals his Vicodin addiction to the world, and as he looks me in the eye, I realize that it's very rare, almost unprecedented, for us to sit across from someone who is so fully and painfully telling you the unfiltered truth. What he did was despicable, but now he's accepting it, owning it, and even sacrificing his reputation to help others learn the truth. In some ways, I can't help but admire the guy. In fact, he's still practicing medicine. I ask him point blank, don't you have a lot to lose by doing this interview? He nods, acknowledging the risk. If I've harmed a patient and the patient sees this interview and figures that I've harmed them, then there is a price for me to pay for that. And you're willing to pay that price, I ask? Of course, he says, nodding, dead sober. Part of getting better with addictive disease is owning mistakes of the past. That takes some guts, and it's another reminder that this guy, like all doctors, is a human being. We like to imagine that our doctors are demigods or saints or somehow floating above all the pesky matters of the flesh. Yet they have temptations and faults and weaknesses just like the rest of us. We demand the impossible from them— 
15 hours straight doing heart surgery, unimaginable pressure and stress. Then we want them to go home and be perfectly normal. Life doesn't always work like that. So how do you check up on your doctor? One, start at your state's medical board. Most have sites that let you search for your physician's license to confirm that they're in good standing, like fsmb.org. Some basic info is free, and for $9.95 on docinfo.org, you can look up additional background resources. Two, check sites like healthgrades.com, lifescript.com, ratemds.com, and doctorscorecard.com that provide doctor reviews and links to state licensing boards. Three, a good old-fashioned Google search, which might turn up any lawsuits, or perhaps just the results of the doctor's seventh-grade soccer team. Theoretically, you could also run your own complete background check. If you're truly concerned, you can run a national criminal check to see if your doctor has convictions in other states. You can also check the National Sex Offender public website and check both county and state criminal records. And finally, if necessary, report your doctor. To file a complaint about your doctor, contact your state medical board. Thanks for listening this week, guys. If you're enjoying the show, would love if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen. And don't forget to check out my new book, Rawson to the Rescue, available from any book retailer on October 10th.